0: This is terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm Nora McInerney, and if you are looking for me on AOL Instant Messenger, you can find me at noodles325. If you don't know what AOL Instant Messenger is, I'm going to need you to pause this podcast and talk to your parents about this. And if you know what Instant Messenger is, you're thinking noodles325. That's weird, Nora. Yeah, it is. My mom made it up for me. Because the internet came to my household at 5648 Pillsbury Avenue South when I was in a little bit of a picky eating phase and my diet was mainly baked potatoes with half a stick of butter or noodles, buttered noodles. I also happened to be very tall and slim like a noodle and I was the third child, the second daughter, and the fifth person in our family. So... Noodles 325 is online right now. (laughs) I kept that screen name well into college, long after I stopped resembling a noodle, long after noodles stopped being my only source of nutrients. The 325 was still accurate, but this episode is not about birth order. It is about, it's about the noodles. A lot of kids in the developed world are picky eaters. That's a luxury we have, to be able to turn up our sweet little noses at foods that look strange or smell strange or are not simple carbohydrates. Several of my own children fall into this category, and sometimes it drives me bonkers. Truly, I start to say things that only parents in outdated sitcoms say. I will normally be a pretty... I'm not a cool mom, but I'm sometimes usually a pretty chill mom, and then... Dinner will come, they will refuse to eat something, and I will say something along the lines of, oh, you think you're too good for this lasagna? There are kids around the world who are starving. They would love to have this lasagna. Gluten-free noodles taste just like the real thing. Now, some kids have to be picky eaters. Kids with allergies, their survival depends on it. And some grownups are also picky eaters. This is not just about kids. My husband won't eat olives or mushrooms. Actually, my first husband would also not eat olives. That really bothered me. I guess I have a type. Hans's wife, she won't eat bananas. Ariana, our new intern, she doesn't like nuts. I mean, she'll deal with them if she has to, but you're not gonna catch her snacking on a cashew. But some grownups are pickier than others. And Aiko is one of those grown-ups. The simple version of the story is this. Aiko has a short list of foods that are safe. That's like with finger quotes. Safe for her to eat. What's on the list of foods that are safe for you?
1: So um, I can kind of like walk through it by meal. So for breakfast, like... I can do like blueberry pancakes, but not banana or anything else. I don't like whipped cream. I have to dip it in the syrup, it can't be on top of it. I eat eggs, they have to be scrambled or they are fried without the yolk because the yolk is a different texture than the white. I eat cereals with milk, has to be like 2% or 1% milk because if it's skim or if it's whole or like anything that's different and it's wrong and then for lunch it's pizza grilled cheese on white bread with like cheddar or american cheese goldfish pretzels i eat pretzels and string cheese like constantly for whatever reason like the combination of the like salty pretzel and the mozzarella is good to me i can do yogurt fruit snacks then it kind of gets into sweets so i do like Candy and baked goods like cookies, brownies. For dinner, it's the same. And then rice with nutty um, and salt, nothing else added to it. And then I can also do like edamame, carrots, green beans, like simple, not very complicated, not very flavorful, and can be salted and eaten with a mouthful of rice.
0: So if that's the simple version, that Aiko is just picky and you'd be probably slightly annoyed if you asked her to dinner, the more complicated version is that Aiko has ARFID. Which? Hmm? ARFID? Do you say ARFID?
1: Essentially, you only eat foods that you have deemed safe, and it's typically bland, not strongly textured. And um, you will eat that thing every day because it is... What is comfortable for you? The way I explain it to a lot of people is that the difference between someone with ARFID and someone who's just a picky eater is that if you lock a person with ARFID in a room with something they don't eat and you lock a picky person in a room with something they don't eat and leave them in there for a week, the ARFID sufferer will starve to death and the picky person will eventually just eat
0: it because they have to eat to survive. going to raise my hand here and tell you this was hard for me to understand. I... Had to talk to an expert about it. And luckily, I live in Minnesota. Minnesota has great experts at the EMILY program, which is an eating disorder specialty clinic. So I went there and I asked, what does ARFID stand for? Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake
2: Disorder, cleverly abbreviated to ARFID.
0: That is Dr. Jillian Lampert. She is the chief strategy officer for the EMILY program.
2: It means generally that people have a really small number of foods that they'll eat for really specific reasons. And when they try to eat outside those specific foods, they get very, very anxious.
0: So this isn't anorexia. Anorexia is different. It's different in its behaviors and its psychology.
2: With anorexia, there's this focus on weight and appearance and getting it right and sort of helping the brain to calm down and not feel overwhelmed. With ARFID, it's more of a like a phobia. Like, I'm so afraid if I eat this food, something bad will happen. And if I eat these foods, I'm not as afraid that the bad things will happen. So it doesn't, ARFID doesn't often have the weight or the body image parts that other eating disorders do.
1: They share a thread in that they're about control. It's about controlling um, what goes into your body. But it's not about limiting or um, eliminating it. It's just what's comfortable and what's safe, and it has no relation to
0: how I think about the way that my body looks. Okay, so when it comes down to it, Iko is a 23-year-old who eats basically pizza. Pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time. That's the Bagel Bites song and also a summary of iko's diet. But
1: if like a genie came down and was like, you can never have pizza again, but you can eat, vegetables and fruits and lean proteins and like whatever I'd be like
0: sure oh my god yes (laughs) like take it I don't want it this reminds me of like games that you play with your children or middle schoolers or whatever we basically just kids ask you these really dumb questions and one of them if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life what would it be and every kid says pizza and you're living that
1: yeah, I'm living it and it sucks. So when the next time your kids say that, be like, well, do I have a podcast
0: episode for you? <laughs> so what does this look like for Iko? What does she mean when she says she can't do it? Because can't she just do it? Can't you just eat it? Isn't it just as easy as putting it in your mouth, chewing, swallowing, maybe wiping the corner of your mouth with a napkin, taking a swig of whole milk? If you came over for dinner and I made what if I made a really good like gluten-free lasagna from scratch with the cheese's real crusty on top, a nice browned cheese. Does that sound good?
1: I would look at it it would probably smell delicious I would see you cut it and put it on my plate and I would immediately tense up and drink a lot of water and like start making excuses and start talking about how um, I'm not very hungry or I've had a stomach bug or I just ate oh it looks so good thank you I would maybe put might like, fork in it and take a, like, a piece and either smell it. If you weren't watching me, which I always am afraid of, I would probably like touch it with my tongue. If that went well, I would put it in my mouth and try to chew. But I would have to have my napkin ready. Half the time, I don't even really notice the taste too much. It's the texture. I might spit it out. And if I absolutely can't spit it out in that moment, if I try to swallow, I might gag. And if I gag too hard, I might throw up. So... Mentally, I get really stressed out about it. I worry, like, you're going to think I don't like your food, or um, you're going to think I'm being rude or weird or, like, whatever. So Yeah, if I spent I all can... day
0: on this lasagna. What's the deal?
1: Yeah, you worked really hard on it. It looks delicious. It smells delicious. Everybody else is tucking away at it and giving you these compliments, and I'm staring at it and, like, trying to lick it surreptitiously. Like...
0: Oh, okay, but what if it's not at my house? What if it's a more neutral space where she can pick whatever she wants? Like, what about a restaurant? What is that experience like from your end? Because from my end, I sit down, I look at the menu, I pick like, oh, okay, this is what I want. And the only thing I have to watch out for is gluten. So I
1: will have already Googled the restaurant I will have googled the menu um, to make sure that they have something I eat. If they don't, I will eat ahead of time and try and pick like something cheap or something that's like close enough that it's something I eat so I can pick at it. Or maybe I get an appetizer instead of an entree and just say I'm not that hungry. I will make like this whole plan well in advance. So while you're looking at the menu, I already have zeroed in on the one thing that I eat. I will be like thinking that in my head, planning my interaction with the waiter, like planning in my head how to stay casually, like, oh yeah, I'm not that hungry. Um, could you just give me whatever? And all of that sort of stuff. So you might be looking at the menu for five minutes and I've known what I was gonna eat before I even walked in the door.
0: What about a table order that everyone else enjoys? Let's say someone says, look, apps are two for one tonight, they're on me get some nachos for the table. She, she just can't. It's not that she doesn't want
1: to. I think it smells delicious. It might look delicious. I would assume it would taste amazing. Like, even if I really, really want it, I'm not going to eat it because it's not a safe food. She just can't.
0: It isn't safe. And we talk about that when we come back. And we're back. One thing I noticed that you also may have noticed while listening to Iko is that she expresses a lot of anxiety about being seen eating, about what people may think of her. It's so
1: ingrained in me to, like, worry that other people are going to judge me. I'm worried that people are going to walk by and be like, why is that girl at this really nice burger place with pizza in front of her? I don't understand. Like, I'm so constantly self-conscious about it. I live in constant fear that someone will notice or that the waiter will say, like, oh, is that all, sweetie? And I'm like, fuck, like, or shit. I, I, Oh, God, please don't. Like, I please don't do that to me. Like, so there's the unknown of the waiter and unknown of the other diners who may or may not be looking at my food, which is, like, odd, but maybe they would. Maybe I'm going to have that one person who walks by and thinks that I'm a weirdo and—or maybe— my friend who I'm going out to dinner with invited a couple other friends because why not? But I don't know those friends. And it, it just becomes a lot more and there's a lot more negotiation
0: with myself. So I tend to stay home. For some people, having a name for an issue that has been with them since childhood or really any amount of time, that's a relief. There's a name for it. But Aiko's anxiety wouldn't let her feel that sense of relief when she discovered ARFID and thought, oh, my gosh, that's me.
1: I still thought there was going to be judgment or, like, somebody was going to say, like, no, you don't have that. You are just kind of a weirdo. Like, I was nervous that um,
0: it was going to be, like, kind of taken away from me. And even if that name, Arfid, is not taken away from her, there's not even relief then. Because when Aiko gets online and sees other people talking about Arfid, there aren't a lot of conversations about it getting better. She sees other people, other adults, with lists of safe foods that get smaller.
1: I'm getting emotional because it's like, it's just like, how could it be any worse than it already is? And how could I be worse than an average toddler? You know, like I'm at par with a three-year-old. But if I am worse than a three-year-old, what does that say? Like, how am I going to feed my own three-year-old when they have a better diet than I do? I already worry about that now, and I'm 23 and single and not really, like, planning on having kids anytime soon, but I worry that they're going to judge me or be embarrassed by me too. My imaginary hypothetical children will be so disappointed in me as a mother, you know. So I worry that I won't be healthy enough to take care of them I won't be able to pass on like recipes or cook with them or like do things like that I worry that I won't be healthy enough to have biological children because in pregnancy your diet has to change a lot worry about what happens when I don't like grilled cheese anymore or the rice has to be a certain way or has to be a certain place and I can't go out at all that's concerning.
0: Aiko's anxiety started really young. When Aiko was two, she had an allergic reaction to foods. Her mother, who's of Japanese descent, brought little Aiko to the doctor, and the doctor told her family that Aiko was allergic to shellfish, sesame, ginger, soy, And Aiko's mother was like,
1: those are the staples of the Asian diet. Is this a joke? And it was like, oh my God, this like defective Asian girl can't eat anything.
2: Sometimes kids have um, things you can point to, like they choke on something and then they're like, I don't want to eat that food ever again, which makes some sense, right? It becomes becomes a thing they're afraid of, but it becomes really frightening and really a phobia. So it could be a specific incident that they had an experience. It could be that they were sick and then they ate that thing and it didn't work right. So they have some something to tie it to. It could be an allergy or a sensitivity they discover, like they have it, something terrible happens and then they don't want to eat anything that resembles anything like that ever again.
0: Aiko doesn't remember that doctor's appointment, but she does remember food being a source of anxiety and never pleasure.
1: There was an awareness that I had allergies, so it was safer if I ate differently than all the other kids. It kind of set the tone for the rest of my life, which was just, I'm the kid who's picky and is eating something different, but that's okay. Okay. It was a cause of anxiety when she was a little kid. I went to a friend's house and we had been playing all day, hanging out all day, and then at dinner time, my friend asked if I wanted to stay and I said sure, and the mom was like, "Do you like pasta?" and I do not. The texture of it is really weird to me, and so I was like, "Oh my god, I don't like pasta, but I said yes to dinner and my mom's not coming anymore." I like immediately stopped enjoying myself and started dreading dinner time and then when she was like dinner's ready I had to ask her to give me just plain noodles without sauce and I just ate the garlic bread and like twirled around the noodles for a while and um, while they talked and like tried to have conversation with me but I was really focused on like making a good enough show of eating this pasta that I said I liked. (laughs) And um, I ate the garlic bread and I drank a lot of water. And I don't think that they called me on it, but it was definitely noticeable when they were like taking seconds and I was still twirling my same noodles.
2: I just couldn't do it. It develops usually from anxiety. What happens if I do this? I'm worried about what will happen. Now I'm afraid. Now I'm terrified. And I go up that that cycle and I can't get down. So that's usually what happens first. That's first. And then it
0: continues. The number of safe foods stays small while other kids grow out of their pickiness and start trying other things. That's how it was for ICO. Instead of eventually breaking down and eating
1: the thing on my plate that I didn't want to eat, I would sit there for what felt to me like hours, but was probably like 20 minutes after everybody else had left the table. And I would either hide it in the garbage, chew it and then um, spit it out into a napkin and throw that away or flush it down the toilet. (laughs) Whatever I could do to get rid of it and not have to eat it and then get freed from where I was sitting uh, that was what I did. So, like, send the kid to bed without supper was, like, a reward for me. Like, okay, cool, I don't have to, like, sit there and watch them watch me not eat this thing.
2: Well, most or a lot of kids are picky eaters. Totally normal. Like, they're in the developmental stage of beige is fine, that's all I got time for, I'm out. That's fine. It's when it's extremely picky eating or if the trying to do something different. Like most kids, when you try to give them something different, they'll take a bite, maybe they'll shriek or spit it out or make faces or do something, but then they'll move on. If you have an extremely picky eater, they won't take the bite. They won't, like nothing's gonna happen. So that's a bit of a distinguisher. So it's the extreme of picky eating.
0: For Aiko, middle and high school is where she really started to separate from her friends and peers. In some ways, being a teenager was easier. I would
1: just eat with my friends and it was normal and they usually got cheese pizza because um, a couple of my friends were vegetarians. I used to eat like chicken nuggets sometimes um, and then hot dogs and I stopped eating both of those things so I just said I was a vegetarian.
0: Like a lot of teenagers, her friends loved crappy food. But they weren't exactly like go. It's not like those foods were all they would eat.
1: The worst day in high school in terms of, like, the food was prom. I got, like, some sort of pasta stuffed with ricotta. And I ricotta, for whatever reason, is just not—the texture and the taste of it is not good for me. So um, I was at the—I was at the table with all of my friends, but also with our dates. So that was when it was— Most awkward and embarrassing because there were people I didn't know watching me not eat my salad and not eat my pasta and just not eat anything at the entire prom dinner, which um, my prom date paid for. We
0: will find his uh, square cash name and yeah. we will we will be oh, reimbursing him. We will be getting that I boy will re-imburse
1: his money. him okay. for, for my for my prom ticket because I, I thought if you so are out bad, there you contact yes. us we will I will 100% Venmo you. <laughs> like I felt so horrible and then we had like a lock in after party and they had pizza and when none of my friends were around and my date wasn't around and their date like when no one that was like in my group was around who would have known that I didn't eat my dinner I got a slice of pizza from the moms at the like after party thing and ate a slice of pizza and that was my dinner.
0: She didn't outgrow it in college but she did
1: try to get help. You know I didn't really want a nutritionist in college that I would have to like find in my area or things like that. And I went to therapy, but she wanted to focus on other stuff. Like, she wanted to talk about, like, I was homesick and she wanted to talk about that. But I was like, part of the reason I'm homesick is because I'm not eating normally here. And she's like, well, lots of people just eat pizza in the cafeteria. And I'm like, that's true. But this is different and I tried to explain it to her and I like had a bad time and so I, I just stopped going. So it kind of was like I sort of tentatively tried to help but I wasn't super honest about it.
0: And you might be wondering, this is an eating disorder with limited foods. Don't we need a variety of foods to be healthy? That's what Michelle Obama told me. That's how we get all of our nutrition. So isn't eating like this dangerous? It, it can be. I actually am relatively healthy. Like my
1: cholesterol is decent, my body weight, like things like that, we're all fine. I get tired a lot quicker. I'm hungry usually after it because a lot of what I eat is carbs and starches, so um, that's not very filling. I get heartburn. Um, I'm pretty lucky that it hasn't been worse, but I do take like a multivitamin and the iron supplement and to try and offset some of it,
0: I, I yeah, I just, I don't feel good. (laughs) We talked about this with Dr. Jillian Lampert, too.
2: If you only eat five foods and they're all white, you're probably not going to get the vitamins and minerals you need. Interestingly, most people aren't terribly malnourished. I always think, as a dietitian, I always think, oh my gosh, how can you possibly be nourished well enough with those five things? But people tend to have a bit of variety and it kind of works out. Depending, uh, But that's one of the concerns, right? You're not going to be well-nourished. Socially is a really big factor. Like, how do you go to a party and, like, I brought my elbows and we're going to heat them up and we're going to have that when you have pizza. Yeah, so it becomes socially limiting in addition to potentially nutritionally limiting. And those two things combined end up to be a problem. Yes, that
0: is exactly the concern and exactly the problem. More about that after the break. We're back. That socially crippling thing that Dr. Jillian Lampert mentioned, that is real. And that's been reality for Aiko for a long time. Aiko is accustomed to being hungry. She's used to making excuses, lies, for why she isn't hungry when she's actually starving. She's used to pretending to eat. She's used to pretending not to feel well, to have eaten before and already be full. Food is not a source of any pleasure for her. She hates eating. When she goes to spaces where lunch is provided, think about when you go to a conference or a retreat and the promise is tons of food, and it's going to be good food, and you're going to have choices, and they even send you a questionnaire beforehand, and you get to fill out preferences or dietary restrictions. There's no place on those forms for Aiko to fully explain her eating disorder. So, she usually just ticks off her allergies and goes to the thing and doesn't eat. So, she's used to missing out on food, on experiences, but she doesn't want to miss out on her entire life. So... When an opportunity comes up for Aiko to study abroad, for her to go to Spain, she is worried that it's going to be the same, that if she goes, that takes away her control and therefore her safety. And she can't go hungry for five months. In her regular life, Aiko can go out to one of those social events we mentioned, not eat, make an excuse, then go home and fix some of her safe foods. But... Can she do that in Spain? And, I mean, you can't study abroad and go home to America every night to eat your safe foods. With that in mind, it seems like going to Spain is... It's not possible. But I I wanted to, and
1: food was like my single biggest stressor. So I... I contacted the, like, group that I was going with, and I told them I was, like —
0: it was one of the first times that I was, like, 100% truthful about it. So she put herself out there. She contacted the group, told them that she had ARFID and exactly what that means. She told a stranger on the phone that if a host family could work with that, she'd love to be placed with them so she could practice her Spanish. And a family said yes. So Aiko arrived in Spain. And that first night for dinner, she was offered pasta, which she can't eat. There had been some sort of miscommunication, and the host family had understood that Aiko was simply a vegetarian. So she was in a real pickle, a pickle brined in Spanish that is not her first language. And I was like, okay, cool, but now I have to explain
1: it in person once they've already accepted me. So I've, like, catfished these poor people, like, oh, my God. So I was really embarrassed and, like, so frustrated, and I explained
0: to them that I have to eat really bland foods. But the host mom is a mom. So she tried to understand, and she knew that rice was one of Ico's safe foods. She had, like, a little terrace and a small
1: table, fit, like, four people. And I uh, sat at the foot of the table, and so I was facing out so I could see, like, as she walked in the door to the little terrace, I could see her, like, bringing in the food. And she came out, and she gave me this plate, and I saw it was, like, mostly rice. And I was like, okay, if nothing else, I can eat the rice and so I won't be hungry.
0: Mostly rice. That's a key word, mostly. That means that the dish was not 100% rice. The mom had added chickpeas.
1: Okay, I don't know anything about this. It's a little weird. And then she, like, gave me the whole rundown of, it's bland, I promise. It doesn't have a weird texture. If you don't like it, that's okay. She, like, ticked through all of the, like, points that I normally go through in my head, like, oh, my God, like, (laughs) I'm going to gag. This woman is going to hate me. She's going to think that I'm the worst a host child she's ever had and I had a host sister as well and she was just eating like normally like not paying attention to me there was a tv out there so the news was on and so they just kind of watched the news and didn't pay attention to me and that was like okay this is fine and then I like it, it didn't have a smell I didn't really want to smell it I just sort of like like took a deep breath like okay ready like and then I put the like fork full of rice and the chickpea in my mouth. And I chewed and it wasn't heinous and I swallowed and I didn't like like there's no fanfare or anything. Like there's no like cheering because this twenty one year old like ate a chickpea, but I felt like really good and my host mom and host sister were not paying attention to me at all. So that was excellent. I was like, please don't look at me like while I figure out if I can eat another one
0: She eats another chickpea and another chickpea. And it turns out Chickpeas are okay. That's pretty big. The list got one line longer. That adds approximately 3% of her daily potassium needs and 4% of her daily protein needs if she can eat a serving a day. And if you're thinking, okay, girl, you you tried chickpeas, so just keep trying stuff. That's the cure. Just keep eating food. You are not alone in that thought. People have been saying that to Aiko her whole life. That was my childhood,
1: was just, like, put it in your mouth, chew it, swallow it, you're done. Like, it's not that difficult. I don't understand why you're making this difficult. You are being difficult. Like, and I internalized that message pretty quickly. And so even if they aren't going to say that to me now, I just assume that they will. And I just say I have an eating disorder, and people usually drop it.
2: What is not helpful? saying, like, can't you just eat that? How come you won't just eat that? Or come on, it won't hurt you. Or it's fine. Or I don't know why you can't, which is true. You don't know why they can't, uh, but not helpful. Or I'll give you $20 if you eat that. Or I'll take away your phone if you won't eat that. Tell me about the things that work. So the things that work are really, the, they fall into the cognitive behavioral therapy realm, the CBT realm, where you gradually expose people to something. So there's a there's CBT uh, interventions where you can think about the thoughts and feelings and, and behaviors associated with the fear and work on those. There's exposure therapy where you, you do some of that CBT and then you say, okay, now we're going to start to expose you to it. But we don't just run out and get 75 foods and have you eat them. We start by thinking about it. And then we start talking about it. And then we visualize what would it be like if you had one different food. And then you go through a series of those visualizations until then the next time you bring in the food and say, here it is. How's that going? And you work through that hierarchy until they eat it and try it.
0: Ico does CBT therapy with a licensed therapist. Her therapist is not trained in ARFID. It's a newer disease in the DSM, so not many are. But... They do talk about it. And that exposure therapy, that's what ICO got in Spain. With that Spanish mom and her little terrace and her chickpeas. That little victory over anxiety. How did it feel to, like, try a new food? You just added a food. How'd that feel? It felt so good. (laughs) Like, I was so
1: happy. Like... Oh my God, I did it. I didn't gag. I'm not annoying my poor host mother. Like, this is something that she makes. Explaining it both to my organization and to my host mother honestly. And then having her like care enough to make me something different and um, make me something that she knew didn't have like a strange texture and like doing all of that and not judging me or looking at me while I was eating it. Like, And it worked. And I ate something. And it it was a new food in my diet. And it felt so amazing because, like, being honest worked out (laughs) in the way that, like, the lying and the self-preservation hadn't. And so it was just evidence that I could stop hiding it so much and start being more honest with it. And that was, like, the green light to, like, tell people a little bit more and share more quickly because— It was a big deal, but it wasn't, and in that moment, it wasn't anymore, and it was, like, easy for a minute.
2: (laughs) That's kind of, in an odd way, how treatment works, because you make the expectation really clear, you put the supports around somebody, you try it, and then afterwards you create an environment where they can contain their experience.
0: ARFID is rare and therefore lonely and therefore misunderstood. Iko doesn't know in real life anyone else who has this. She doesn't have a peer group that understands why she's the person who always orders the same thing at restaurants, if she orders at all. She has a therapist. And she has a Reddit thread. That Reddit thread has over 2,500 people. And I lurked there and it just seemed lonely. It's people lamenting how other people constantly comment on what they eat. But it's also people who cheer one another on when they log on and say, I ate an apple today. It's a lot of people who point to childhood traumas as a place where maybe their own ARFID originated. And this kind of community can and is so helpful to so many people. And it's also
2: not enough. I think people need to find an eating disorder therapist that hopefully has good experience with ARFID. It's a newer, you know, it's a newer diagnosed eating disorder. So it's something that not every eating disorder therapist is as up on as they should be. But I think uh, your average therapist, while they may be amazing at a lot of things, they're not going to be well-trained in eating disorders because it's a specialty, just like you wouldn't go to your family practice doc and ask them to put in your new knee. Like, you just wouldn't. So find an eating disorder therapist. And if you're in any of those support rooms or chat rooms, make sure you're only in that chat room after you have some professional support and then seek out some of that support so you can take it back and process it. Talking with IGo,
0: I mean, it's obvious this is about more than just food, right? It's not just that Aiko's missing out on nutrients that could improve her health and longevity. It's not just that she's missing out on good meals. She's missing out on experiences. Food is a social activity. Food is a way to care for people. And ARFID means that Aiko has been missing out on food and anything even tangentially related to it for her entire conscious life. I will be honest with you and tell you that I struggled with this episode and I'm even a person with my own messed up eating history and it was hard for me to understand this. It was hard for me to empathize with this. And then I really, really thought about Aiko as a little girl and how even as a grade schooler, she knew that she should pretend to eat at somebody else's house that the grown-ups wouldn't notice. I just imagine her as a little girl going home hungry because she was already ashamed. I imagine her in middle school, which is already the pits. I mean, middle school is when you truly feel like everybody is looking at you all the time. You are the center of the universe for everybody. It's so intense. And I imagine her withdrawing from all of these situations where, I mean, you know, there might be a food that she's not okay with, and then also a layer of peer scrutiny, a layer of adult scrutiny that's usually well-meaning but also just shines that spotlight on you harder. I imagine her going to prom, which in my day everybody looked forward to as a magical night, and sitting at the table not eating and feeling bad about it and then Scrounging a slice of pizza from some moms at the after party and eating it in secret. And then I imagined that little girl and that middle schooler and that high schooler being an adult with something that is so hard to explain, so hard to understand, who hears an invitation to dinner and feels like she's just been invited into hell, <laughs> like <laughs> into an absolute hell where. Everybody is going to wonder what is up with that girl who's pretending to eat spaghetti. I just think of all of those versions of Iko and this current version of Ico, and I can feel that loneliness.
1: Food is definitely a love language, and it's not one that I, I like, I don't speak it. I don't understand it. So I, I can't reciprocate in that way by
0: eating it and enjoying it. I also felt very freaked out. Honestly, I felt scared because I do have some picky eaters in my family. I know a lot of you do. Maybe you are one and you're doing exactly what I was doing through this whole interview, saying quietly to yourself, oh my God, this is my kid. Oh God. And maybe panicking a little bit when you think about how tonight They're going to want to eat something. And you know exactly what it is going to be butter new news. And you're thinking, should we panic? And even though Dr. Jillian Lampert is not my doctor or my children's doctor or even Iko's doctor, I used my interview time with her to essentially ask her personally, when as parents, grownups, guardians, whatever, we should be panicking?
2: Panicking is better than yelling and shaming. Yeah, exactly, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think when you have that gut sense that something's really wrong, it's not just your run of the mill irritation or phase that's a lot longer than the other phases, when it's a gut sense that something's wrong, then it's time to say, hey, should I get some sort of consult on this? And your your doctor's a fine place to start to say, I'm concerned about it. Sometimes you really have to push it. Like, no, I'm really concerned. Who can I see? Some hospitals have feeding teams. You can see them. So You can do an eating disorder therapist. There are different options in different communities. But I think when people feel like, oh, yeah, this might be, go check it out. The worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to say, nope, Kid's normal, which I'm a mom relieving to moms all over the world when you hear, nope, your kid's normal. And
0: if your kid isn't or someone else's kid isn't, just take a breath before you start more of that panicking. And please, more importantly, note to Nora, put down all of those stones that you're getting ready to throw around this glass house that we all share. All of us. We all live in the same
2: glass house. Not as glamorous as you think it would be, by the way. Lots of people restrict their food intake. Lots of people overeat. Lots of people even say things like, oh, I eat too much. Maybe I should just do whatever comes next. Lots of people are a little picky about what they eat. And those are you know human-distributed charming traits that are fine. It's at the extreme ends that they become really problematic. There's probably like four normal eaters in the entire world in the middle of that spectrum that are born that way and stay that way. Well, good for those four people. Huh. Must be nice.
0: (laughs) Hats off to them. Well done. But the rest of us are not in the center of that spectrum. And for the most part, we blend in. We don't think too much about our food issues or choices or allergies or preferences until we're made to feel that they're bad, that they stand out, but not in a good way. We feel that when we ask if something is dairy free and the people around us say, well, I mean, is it is it an allergy? When you say you shop at a big box store for your groceries and someone says, Oh, but the produce isn't organic. You have to eat organic. Organic is better. Or when you're just casually talking with coworkers about restaurants you like and that one dude rolls his eyes when you mention your favorite one you go to with your partner when you want to have a special night. And then a couple minutes later, he does that little (laughs) sound when you say, You don't know what Tamarind is. Like you're just the biggest goof in the world. What? Like, come on. What are you not a foodie? When you're not, no, I'm. Str- I am not a foodie. I am proudly not a foodie. I am very intimidated by anything that seems slightly foodie, foodie culture. I don't know a lot about food, how to make it. I'm sometimes aware that I'm far less sophisticated than other people when it comes to food. If you look in my pantry, you'll be like, "Whoa, whoa! Are we in the world's smallest Costco? Look at all this bulk mac and cheese. <laughs> Why is it all shrink wrapped together? Food isn't just." Food. Food sits at the complicated intersection of our health and our identity and our status and our shame. Am I eating the right things? Am I eating too much? not enough? Do I think the right things about the right foods? Do I know what are the right foods? Do I think I'm better than other people's foods? What does this food say about me? Do I have enough reverence for the correct food? Should I be hiding this food? Do I let other people see me eat this food? Is liking this food racist? Is not liking this food racist? Am I still allowed to like that one food that we might not be supposed to like anymore? Is it okay that I went to a fancy restaurant and everything was so small that afterwards I went to McDonald's and I got a large Right? Good golly. There's so much it never stops. And when we feel uncomfortable with our own habits or our own station, it's easier to look at someone else and say, No, that's the weird thing. And it's especially easier when it's about food. Seriously, this is not immediately something you can just slide into compassion or empathy for, if you're me. And maybe even you. You might hear things or even think things like, Some kids are starving. I have said that today. First world problem affluenza. When I was a kid, you ate what was on your plate and that's that. I lived that life. Also, please ask my older brother about being stuck at the table overnight for not eating his carrots. Our father, Steve McInerney, was a
2: real tough guy. So I think it's this idea we still have that eating disorders are somehow a choice. And since we live in an abundant food environment, why would you make that choice around food? is what I think drives that sort of difficulty to find compassion. If you can reframe it to say, it's an illness. It happens to some of us, not actually a lot, probably fewer than 10% of people will ever deal with an eating disorder. So it's a small group that's kind of hard to wrap your head around. And then when it happens, it's, it's weird. People do odd things with food, and their behaviors are really odd, and they don't make sense. And so it's hard to have compassion for some of that. I think if you talk to people who had an eating disorder, I had an eating disorder, I've been recovered for 27 years, I can look back at that and think, wow, that's, how did that happen? That's kind of odd. Uh, but it's an illness. It happens just like other things do. And when you're unfamiliar with it, it seems odd.
0: goes doing exactly what she needs to be doing to treat her illness and help build more empathy for it. She's talking about food. With everyone, she talked with her Spanish host mom. She talked with her own parents. She talked with me. She talked with you.
2: That's one thing that I think we've done a, a better job of lately, that people are more aware of eating disorders and more willing to talk about them. People aren't whispering about them quite as much. They're really saying, like, oh, I had an eating disorder or my child has an eating disorder. So that's great. And Aiko is trying out new things. She is exposing herself to new
0: foods. She's thinking carefully about her anxiety and what it means. Which, for our interview, means that we only have one question left to answer. So, how are you?
1: I'm okay. (laughs) Um... I feel kinda of weird talking about it, but in general I don't feel bad or good. It's just sort of like surreal and a little strange. So I just feel like here I am. <laughs> it's a weird day. And I'm probably gonna go home after this and eat pizza and think about think about it more.
0: I'm Nora McNerney, and this has been terrible. Thanks for asking. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Marcel Malikibu is our assistant producer. Get well soon. Got a working out injury. Hannah Meekock-Ross is our project manager. Jordan Turgeon, new teammate. Ariana Giles is our intern. We adore her. She's new. She's very cool. She has a great YouTube channel. I don't know if you heard about YouTube, guys, but I just discovered it. I'm having a... All over there just watching videos. Uh, you can find her at Ariana Speaks on YouTube. It's E-R-I-A-N-N-A and it speaks. Thank you, Iko and Dr. Jillian Lampert and the staff at the EMILY Program. To learn more about the EMILY Program, go to emilyprogram.com. I have a book recommendation for you. It does not deal with ARFID specifically, but it has been so helpful to me as one of the most people who are on that food difficulty spectrum. It's called Food Freedom Forever. It's written by Melissa Hartwig Urban. It goes by Melissa Urban now, but the book is probably under Melissa Hartwig. Melissa Urban, who's the founder of the Whole30. It's not about Whole30. It is about, it's really wonderful. It is something that I return to time and again, and has helped me develop a much better relationship with food you can find me on instagram at nora borealis our theme music is by joffrey wilson hell of a guy and we are a production of american public media